0: Hey, everyone, it's Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com. Thanks again for listening into the BrewHoop podcast. Just wanted to note that we're going to finish up the conversation today that Mitchell, Riley, and I started back on Friday's episode of the BrewHoop podcast, touching on player expectations, and this time we're diving into more of the meat of the roster, Giannis, Chris, Eric so uh, the whole shebang. So thanks again for listening, and I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of the conversation. should be back in a couple weeks. Thanks. Bye. <music>
1: old Milwaukee
0: was a young boy walking. Let's have these uh, sort of older players who honestly, I, th- I don't think will spur as much discussion. Uh, let's have that all come to an end. So let's move on to a bit more of the meat of the roster, which is some of the younger players and people that I, at least personally, I would consider more a part of the potential core for this Bucks team. So let's start with Thon Maker, uh, obviously a very divisive subject. So uh, Mitchell, what, what do you, expect for a successful season out of thon this year
2: Uh, for so for a long time my my one prescription for thon was always just get stronger get stronger get stronger (laughs) find find a way to uh, strengthen your lower body get get some get some more muscle on your legs get some more muscle in your core like find a way to not get pushed around all the time and man like i mean some people just just shed weights and don't get like he maybe he doesn't have the frame to actually build that kind of muscle to really become a more physical presence as a center. So I just I kind of have to abandon that. I don't think it's going to happen. So maybe lean the other way. Like maybe focus on getting faster. Maybe focus on agility and finding ways to really leverage your speed and your length more because that, that's those are the things that actually make him special. Like it, it kind of goes back to it's the same idea as people thought about his uh, his mixtape when he was showing off like these outrageous handles for a center and pulling up for three. Like those are like yeah, those are cool basketball things, but those are not useful NBA center things. Not unless you are a true freak of nature, right? And he's not that. So if he is going to like, we all want to see more playoff thon. We want to see playoff thon from November on. So, and I don't know what it takes to get there. Like, like whatever his physical limitations are, he's he's got no strength. He's got no verticality when there's a crowded space. His his hands are terrible. Whatever. Like, wh- I don't care what he has to do to try to become playoff Thon on a permanent basis. That's what I want to see.
0: What about you, Riley?
1: So my first two notes for THON were show us any, in all caps, sign of life, and then (laughs) do something, all in caps, at an above average level. It's just, it's so frustrating because you like the thought of THON, but then like the reality of THON is really frustrating. And the other thing I had was you should definitely be earning the uh, second center or the whatever rotation center minutes above John Henson. If you can't do that, then we could wrap it up, but you should be definitely earning that if it's going to be a good year. And then you're probably not going to see any more than like, I don't know, 14, 15 minutes per game at like, you know, at the outside. So please just bring all the energy. If you're pretty much everything Mitchell just said, but echoing it, you could be the energy guy. Like, there's no reason why you wouldn't be able to be the energy guy for, you know, a 5-6 minute stretch. Uh and you don't even have to be like playoff thon level energy, but just something. And then also if you could get your three-point percentage back up because that's an intriguing tool to have. He only shot 29% last or like almost 30% last season, but that really? was after his rookie year of shooting 37.8%, which was, you know, I mean, exciting when it went down and then last year he it didn't seem like he Really hesitated per se, but there was a weird thing with a lot of the guys on the team under Jason Kidd, where there seemed yeah. to be hesitance about shooting three So maybe within Bud's system, we can fix that, and you know if that becomes a more reliable part of his game. But please, just show us any sign of life, please, Don. Yeah, I'll will
2: yeah. say this, I'll say this much: like the shooting is is what it is. Like as long as he takes shots and they're good shots, like I'll forgive. A lack of accuracy you know over short stretches if he, if he just forgets how to shoot and can't make shots then that's a different story um, but I hope for his sake for Thon's sake that Holzer does enable switching on defense for him because if Thon isn't switching and he isn't using that length and quickness on the perimeter to his advantage like what can he do on defense his instincts are just not good in general like, I don't see him as being like a uh, like a weak side rim protector the way that Giannis is. Uh, he's got the measurables for it, but I don't think he's got the mindset for it. Like for, for whatever reason, we haven't seen him do a lot on defense other than switching and defending on the perimeter, which he could be pretty good at. So as long as Budenholzer enables him to do so, I think he could have a good year. If he's expected to do something different, if he's expected to play center the same way that Brook Lopez is, which I don't think... He will be. I think that Boone Holds flexible enough to tailor the system to the talent on the team. Um, but if, if he's, if he's going to be expected to do other things, I don't know how capable he is. And that could threaten his NBA livelihood, really.
0: Yeah, I think keeping him engaged in a way – Almost like a like a like a Jabari like hiding him on ball. I think keeping him like engaged and that kind of stuff, where he doesn't have to work in space and and think too much. And who knows, maybe this scheme that Bud's going to install isn't as complicated and hopefully is less rigid than Kid's scheme, as you alluded to, Mitchell. So hopefully he'll be able to keep him engaged and allow to, him to leverage his tools in a more meaningful way. So the thing I had was I wanted Thon to like Mitchell said, shoot away, but I wanted to develop some, some pick and pop chemistry. I mean, too often he would, he would pick and then maybe roll and clutter the lane, or he'd be hesitant to pop out to the three point line. He would just sit inside the, the three point line, just a little bit, a couple steps, which it seemed to be a, a thing that Jason Kidd was pushing on him after he, he, he just, he was having a cold spell at the start of the season. So he said, just step in one step and maybe you'll make some shots. I, 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 whatever that was bizarre to me, but, um, I think if he's able to develop that kind of offensive role where he knows he's a guy who should be on the perimeter, he doesn't have that many skills inside. He has trouble finishing off two feet. He has trouble finishing quickly with the ball. I mean, it's always like a, some weird art show with him. If he even gets the ball and tries to put it in the basket with a hoop shot, it's, it's crazy to watch. Um, So I, I think for him, the most important thing is knowing, knowing his lane and knowing that his lane right now is his potential as a three point shooter and his potential on the defensive end, which is uh, guarding guys on the perimeter. And a lot of that will be up to Bud's scheme and that kind of stuff. But hopefully we'll get there because we are certainly a long, long time away from the days when Thonmaker would get in the game and the Bradley Center would just absolutely lose it for even just a made shot.
1: Yeah, but that uh, one crossover of uh, Chris <laughs> Burtman-Anderson was sick.
2: Come that on. was good. You're oh, right. man, sick, sick <laughs> Look at that um, handle.
0: All right. Just, yeah, never mind. More of that. Only thon maker should be point guard.
1: Um, okay. That's worse than my Ursan Thon take earlier.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: that's... Can we edit that out of my brain? Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, there's going to be a lot of editing after this. Okay. Um, let's move on to Sterling Brown. Uh, Riley, what do you want to see out of Sterling Brown to have a successful season? I know you're a large Sterling Brown stan.
1: I am a gigantic... Sterling Brownstan. Uh, unfortunately, Greg is not here. He goes by that moniker. So I will, he's the father of the Sterling Brownstan movement. But I think there's a possibility he could take a massive leap forward. And, you know, for whatever reason, Sterling's kind of a uh, depends on your own perspective. I thought he showed a lot of good tools. And I think there's a possibility where he could slot into like even like a Tony Snell role where Tony's not expected to handle the ball. Tony's expected to be out there to shoot threes and play competent defense. Whereas we've seen Sterling, whether that be in summer league, this past summer league where he looked really, really good, um, not as good directly on ball facilitating the offense, but we know he brings it on defense. He's a decent rebounder, and he's he's generally not afraid. Again, this is another thing seemed like, I don't know, if he was hesitant or being told not to really focus on the three and just drive the ball toward the basket where he wasn't the most efficient scorer. But I think there's definitely a possibility where he could see jumps in his minute production. I would, if you gave me a few minutes, I can come up with some uh, theoretical numbers I'd like to see, but I think there's a possibility for him to carve out, you know, a more permanently being the backup, you know, shooting guard or being one of the backup guards. Um, And he had 50 games last year that he appeared in and obviously, you know, stuff off the court wasn't, you know, ideal. We can leave it at that. But I think if he can, up his appearances, up his minutes, and I think that's all definitely a possibility. this it just seems like it he has potential to be a huge uh you know progression candidate for the Bucks.
0: Yeah, he had four, so he's was 14.4 minutes last year in his his fifty-four games that he appeared in. Um just three point eight attempts per game 40% overall, which is okay. Uh Mitchell, what it, what are you thinking for Sterling?
2: I do agree with everything Riley said. It's funny that you mentioned uh, adapting some of Tony Snell's game. I have a different Tony in mind for Sterling Brown. I want him to find a way to adapt himself and become as close as he can to Tony Allen on defense.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. He He's – for a wing player, he's very strong. He's got good measurables. He's got very good instincts. I know our good friend uh, Dean Maniat, He's at all the bucks. Uh, Last year, put put together uh, a clip package that showed a lot of really, really, really advanced defensive skills that Sterling Brown demonstrated that he just did naturally, and that's fantastic. Like that's a great way to find a way to hang in the NBA. So if he can get his shooting up to up to par, and he continue to be a badass on defense, like that's what he has to do. Like I don't know how many NBA coaches like worry about the amount of technicals that their players incur over the course of the season, like probably whoever is DeMarcus Cousins's coach or Steve Kerr with, with Draymond, but everybody else probably isn't, it's not the front of their mind. I definitely would love for Budenholzer and company to like take the cap off of any limit they have for technical fouls and let Sterling just go wherever he needs to do whatever he has to in order to just irritate and frustrate the other team because he can do that. And he's not afraid to step up to anybody. Um, It's not wonderful that the team's best enforcer is a, you know, a second round sophomore that doesn't play a lot of minutes, but like he's, he's got the ability to do that. And there's definitely a place for that in the league. And there's, there's so, so many ways that helps your team. And that's, that's, that's what I want Sterling Brown to do. Like the shooting, the shooting is the shooting. I don't want him to develop his offense any further. He's going to have to space the floor because he doesn't have any other NBA ready skills, but that, that defense, man, if he can find a way to just be miserable and make life awful for the players that he guards and you know, maybe he gets a lot of double technicals. That's even better because there's no free throws getting shots, but whatever he has to do to do that. Also, He's got to grow grow his hair back out because his hair <laughs> looks great, grown out. The short, not so much. But with his hair grown out, it looks amazing.
0: I do miss his hair. For me, so you went, you went, you you start, you steered into the defensive skid. I, for me, I was thinking more offensive. So I wanted his three point percentage to be tick up a few notches. So he shot. Was it 35? Sorry, I just had it here. Um, 35.2% from three last year, I think, on uh like 1.7 attempts per game. So, you know, it's okay. I mean, that's that's a that's a decent number. Uh, you know, coming out of college, I mean he shot on 136 attempts his senior year, 44.9 percent, 79 percent from the free throw line on 110 10 attempts that year. So I was kind of hoping it would be a little bit higher and I think there's a chance it could tick up higher. I mean, you certainly don't need it to be at 39 or 40 percent for him to be the kind of spacer that you're looking for. But I think he, I agree with you guys that I think he has a lot of really intriguing defensive skills, and I think he offers one of the better chances since just because he's only entering his second year for Milwaukee to have like a really viable, good defensive wing three and D guy who I know we have Tony Snell um, and Chris Middleton, which is great. But if you just look at the bottom part of the roster, I just don't see as much potential upside in those guys to turn into really valuable uh, NBA players. And I mean, Sterling Brown is older, so he doesn't have a lot of time to realize that kind of upside yet left. But I, I just feel like he has a lot of potential to become a very valuable player in the NBA, at least definitely in terms of today's NBA, if he's able to get that three point shooting up a little bit, um, and obviously that'll contribute on the court, and who knows? I mean, he is. He also could be a valuable trade chip if he's able to shoot that kind of percentage. Um, should Milwaukee want to go that way? Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. I was just gonna say he, if he develops in kind of the direction that we're all theorizing that he, if he has a good year, he could possibly develop. That would. Give the front office a bit of flexibility, um, especially in the guard rotation, which would be welcome given all the questions they're going to have to be dealing with in, you know, just an off season from now. What to do with the uh, one and the two positions?
0: For sure. All right, let's move on to let's move on to Malcolm Brogdon, uh, Mitchell. What do you what do you want on Malcolm Brogdon this year?
2: <sighs> For Malcolm Brogdon is in a weird place, man. Like he he is a wonderful character. He's, you know, just seems to be a great human being, incredibly smart. Uh, I had a really unfortunate a bad break last year with that quad injury and thankfully it wasn't as bad as it could have been um but he 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 played well in his rookie year he played well in the games he did get last season he didn't play so great in the playoffs but he just he seems remarkably solid and that's really cool he is also heading into essentially he's heading into free agency next year because of the nature of his contract as a second round pick so whatever the situation is where the buck's you know, get a chance to to pay him to keep him, he has to prove that he's worth hypothetically that money. And so what I want from Malcolm Brogdon is I want him to show kind of similar to to my lecture to DJ Wilson to show one NBA level skill, I want Malcolm Brogdon to show one elite skill. Just one. I don't care where it is. I if shooting would be again the top pick, if he can be if he can bump his shooting up to like really impressive levels, like 42, 43 45%, Forty-five percent—that would be wonderful. Um, he, similar to Delhi, spends a lot of time with the ball in his hands, and he's not exactly a, an offense stopper. He's not going to bring things getting to a halt necessarily, but he does gum the system up a little bit. Now, then again, the system he was gumming up—maybe that was better than it actually operating as intended because it was such a poorly designed system under Jason Kidd. That notwithstanding, it's, I just—I don't. I have a hard time figuring out what else Malcolm Brogdon can be unless he shows off an elite skill. And the most likely skill for that to be be is shooting. And if he is not going to be an elite shooter, is he worth that contract that he might get next summer from the Bucs or from another team? I don't know.
1: Um yeah I mean I agree with that in general. Um he's a super solid player in a whole bunch of different aspects. So how much more can you really ask for if you're, you know, average to slightly above average at pretty much everything you'd expect from a guy coming off the bench. I think we could probably it, it's going to be difficult to tell How he fits within Bud's system. Ideally, you can work your way into Bud's good graces and kind of, you know, maybe work your way into the closing lineup. But if he's going to continue to be kind of like the lead guy off of the bench, depending on, you know, if they rotate to make sure that Giannis or Chris is on the floor at all times, I would, especially since he has the ball so often, you don't have to do the heavy lifting on offense. If he could, you know, maybe come slightly better a slightly better playmaker or, you know, do a little bit better at keeping the ball moving and kind of directing the offense and let the others who are on the floor do the heavy lifting. If they're of a certain level of player and obviously it's a bench unit, so it's not exactly the highest level, but I think he has definitely possibility to, and he's shown it in the past. He had a 24.3% assist rate in, um, you know, in his uh, rookie year. So he's shown the ability to pass the ball and, you know, open up teammates. So return to that maybe. And then just in general, from his perspective, I would say two things. If you could transition to a slightly less physical style of play because there are already concerns about his feet. He is Kevin, he's an older rookie, obviously. He had the quad injury last year. So given that this is a contract year for him, stay healthy, um, have the you know requisite contract year level of production and a little bit of playoff success as well because the team could really use it.
0: Hmm. Okay, so I don't I'm I'm not sure if I see I would love if Malcolm Brogdon developed an elite skill. I I guess my stuff was more modest, like stuff tinkering around the edges. He started to, he's shot a lot better on pull-ups last year as compared to the year prior. So his effective field goal percentage on, uh, it was 149 field goal attempts. His rookie year Effective field goal percentage was 38.6 on pull-ups last year that was um, that ticked all the way up to 52.7% on 128 attempts. So I thought especially earlier in the year, he showed a decent ability to pull up th- from three. And this is a guy who has a pretty slow shot attempt, as we all know. So him being able to flash that kind of skill was intriguing to me. I don't know if it's going to develop any further than that, but if he's able to at least maintain those numbers or even just be a little bit lower, that'll be a significant advancement in terms of his game. I miss him having a little bit of chemistry with Milwaukee centers. Brog Rowe was a real thing. He really seemed to have like amazing chemistry with Greg Monroe and no knew where he was going to be. I'd like him to be able to develop that. If he's going to be driving, develop that with some of the other guys on Milwaukee's roster who might be cutting in, whether that's Giannis or if Brooke is there for a quick dump off uh, or even if Tyler Zeller happens to get those minutes. Uh, If John Henson can figure out a way to finish quicker, that would be great uh and then you know other small thing was i don't know i i know he has pr- trouble getting to the basket he doesn't have great moves and that kind of stuff but i wish he was able to draw fouls at a little at a little better rate he only averaged uh you know 1.8 free throw attempts per game last year and he's an 88.2% free throw shooter so mm-hmm. even if he was able to get that up to uh, you know 3 an extra point per game or so i would you know i i think that could be a couple just a couple promising Tinkering parts to his game uh, to have a successful season for me.
2: Yeah, he's a, he's kind of a bubble guy. Brogdon is uh, for me in terms of where he's going to end up under Mike Budenholzer's mm-hmm. system. Like th- there there exists a universe in which Malcolm Brogdon excels in Bud's system, where there's a lot of off-ball movement and there's a high emphasis placed on sharing the ball and you know positioning outside the arc rather than you know a really rudimentary NBA offense. There also exists exists a universe in which he just doesn't like become more than he is. And it's not that he isn't a good NBA player, but like he's a good NBA player on a minimum contract right now. If he's a good NBA player on like Tony Snell money, like that doesn't, that doesn't move the needle enough to, to really merit getting excited about a per- that percentage of your cap going to him. Um, so it's that, I don't know. It's, it's tough. I I can see a lot of variance in terms of projecting what he is going to become over the course of this year. And then whether or not the bucks can even afford to pay him to keep him long-term or if they even should, like I, there's, there's tons of questions, tons of questions about, you know, who has historically been a pretty consistent player over his two years.
0: Speaking of that Tony Snell contract, let's move on to Tony Snell next for our expectations. Uh, I know at least Mitchell and I are Snell stands. So let's, give, uh, let's, let, let's let Mitchell just go ahead and, and just dive right in on this one.
2: I know hey, this is exactly what Tony Snell needs. This is exactly what he needs. This is gonna, <laughs> I'm going to use an extreme hypothetical, but just come with me on this journey. Let me paint the picture with my words. I'm going to bring Tony Snell into that same room that I spoke to DJ Wilson and Malcolm Brogdon and asking them for skills. But I don't have a demand from him. I just have a form. It's a form CV-450. Do either of you guys know what that is? No, I don't. Okay, it's probably good because you're not lawyers in the state of Wisconsin. I had to just Google it five minutes ago, so it's not like I had it memorized either. But that is a petition for name change form. And I want Tony Snell to change his name to Mirza Teletovic. Tony needs to let it fly. He needs to shoot. He needs to shoot everything he cannot hesitate the only bad tony snell three is this the three that tony snell does not take He's needs to shoot He's a shoot everything he's a good shooter he's got very good form he's got good height first position he's very consistent he's been a 40 percent shooter the last what two years like he makes those shots and yeah he, he goes through ebbs and flows just like every other uh every other shooter in the league but he just he just needs to let it fly all the time, all the time, and I'll tell you why. Why I want him to become the new Mirza Toledovich and have a ridiculously high like an eighty uh, percent three point rate. It's all to do with his confidence as an NBA player. It's it's a well known like un like, kind of like an unofficial secret that everybody is kind of aware of is that Tony Snell really just ha- struggles with self confidence probably in large part due to the way that Jason Kidd managed his team, which we all know was not a good way to manage a team of professionals. And if if Tony Snell doesn't believe in Tony Snell, he's going to struggle. And that's just, that's just the way it is. But we believe in him. His teammates believe in him. I would love to think that Budenholzer and the new coaching staff believes in him. I want Tony Snell to believe in Tony Snell. I want him to shoot everything all the time. And I really do think – that is going to take his game up a level.
0: Yeah, it's it's Tony Snell is, is so bizarre because yeah, as you alluded to, he has these confidence issues, but and yet when you look at his numbers, his three point attempts have, in Chicago paled in comparison to his ones in Milwaukee. So, you know, his first three years in Chicago, one hundred seventy eight, his rookie year, thirty two percent, one hundred ninety seven attempts, thirty seven percent, one hundred fifty five attempts, thirty six percent. Comes to Milwaukee. Two years ago, 355 attempts, shoots up to 40.6%, 268 attempts from three, 40.3%. Meanwhile, the whole time his usage rate has been slowly trickling down as well. So, I mean, the increase in volume only improved his three-point shooting, and that's a really healthy amount of volume. So the the shooting by Tony Snell is real. 40% is what you can expect, uh, and we would hopefully hope for uh, in in years going forward. So I'm completely in line with Mitchell. I am totally... Uh, all in on Tony Snell. I think he should shoot as much as possible. I was literally in my notes. I had Mirza Toledovich's uh, like 10.2 three point attempts per 36 that he had. I want Tony Snell to be at that. Wayne Ellington was a guy who had, you know, over, I think it was over, yeah, three, 10.2. Same thing, three-point attempts per 36. Like Those are the kind of things that I want to see out of Tony Snell. I don't want him to have to worry about anything else. I want him to just be like, if he gets the ball, he should just shoot it because he doesn't have a great dribble drive. He doesn't have a whole lot of other skills to offer, but he does have an elite skill already in the league, which is three-point shooting. And I think he needs to just be able to let it fly as much as possible, just like Mitchell said.
1: Jeez, you guys are fired up about this. My God. I'm
2: <laughs> all in on Tony Snell. Shoot <laughs> everything. Shoot everything like you hear that that better be tony snell taking a three otherwise i'm not happy because he needs to shoot everything
1: yeah i mean obviously the beauty of tony is that he has no issues whatsoever at being like a relatively low usage guy so he fits perfectly with the starting unit um i you guys said everything pretty much perfectly even if he started just jacking threes left and right i'm sure his usage percentage would probably still go down throughout the season just because that's (laughs) what tony snell does um no i don't the only issue for tony is the amount of money he's making and that's not his problem that's the buck's problem so um if we could keep the number of tweets in buck twitter uh lamenting the amount of money that tony is making to like i don't know like 200 a night or something like that just across buck twitter i think that would be a no, An that, awesome
2: season for him. I'm glad you brought that up because that has really, really ground my gears lately when, when people in Bucks Twitter and all across uh, NBA Twitter like put Tony Snell in the same bucket as Matthew Dellavedova and John Henson and the aforementioned Mirza Teletovic, who very sadly is probably not in the league anymore for very good reasons related to his safety. Uh, I would love for Telly to be able to be in the NBA anymore, but I do look forward to his contract coming off the books. But Tony Snell is not the same guy as those other guys. Like, yeah, maybe they all are maxed out in terms of their own room to grow as basketball players in terms of having like, reached their ceiling, their different ceilings respectively. But Tony Snell is not that guy. He's much more useful than Deli or Henson. Like, he's, he's the, the prototypical 3D wing who got a contract that was at the market rate for a 3D wing. Like, and yeah, he's, he's not a lockdown defender, he's not Kawhi. And he's not Steph Curry shooting off the dribble, but he doesn't have to be. He has to stay out of the way and eat minutes and just execute on both ends of the floor, and and that's it. And that's not a bad thing. Sometimes you're gonna pay for that. It's just get off Tony Snell's back. Leave Tony Snell alone.
0: Well, and it's easy to do revisionist history when all these uh, everyone's under a cap crunch now. I mean, it's just like we. It's just like not great luck. I mean, if if Tony Snell was coming on. Of, on a contract this year, he probably would have been paid a little bit less. But at the time, I mean, I think it's a very reasonable deal, especially considering he had far more upside than Della vadova or Henson or any of those guys that were signed that summer. And I mean, the, the, you know, the sins of the past, uh, at some point, you kind of have to let them go. And I, I think this Tony Snow contract made, made sense at the time. And it didn't feel like there were outrageous outcries then. It just happens that you know, sometimes he might disappear. And I, th- I think if they're able to up his three-pointer attempts per game, I mean, I think that's going to be a valuable enough trait for him to be maybe not worth fully that amount, but I mean, relatively close to it.
2: Yeah. If, t- if Tony still goes from averaging seven points a game to like close to 10 because he's taking and making more threes, like all of a sudden that contract doesn't look so bad. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. All right.
0: Um, so let's move on. I guess we're up to the marquee three. Now let's, let's start with Eric Bledsoe Riley. What are, what are you hoping out of Eric Bledsoe this year?
1: So, uh, to be honest, the first thing that I wrote was end the season on a different team or (laughs) underline become a free agent in a tepid point guard market. Um, obviously that would not be good. Sorry. Well, that wouldn't be good for him, but it would be generally good for the team. No. Um, (laughs) I mean, he was, really effective in the regular season. So obviously replicating that um, in terms of numbers, I'm not sure if there's much in the way that you could ask him to like see increases realistically, obviously if his three point percentage, if he could, you know, maybe just a slight hair above the 34% that he shot last year, that would be great. Um, But obviously given the style play and everything like that, maybe not realistic. So if he can kind of stay around, you know, his average for his career, and then embrace uh, Coach Bud because I was looking through his previous coaches and his throughout his embryo career, he's had Vinny Del Negro, uh, which, you know, poor one out for Vinny. And then there was uh, – why can't I remember his name in Phoenix? Uh, Hornacek, uh, yeah. Hornacek.
2: Yeah, Jeff Hornacek. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, and then you know, obviously Phoenix exploded into you know a morass that it is now. And then he had Jason Kidd, so that was pretty much like and you know whoever was after Hornacek, but Bud is his—you could say almost his first real NBA coach. So I just want to see him buy into whatever it is that Bud demands. We've seen in Bud's system in the past that he's able to make guards who probably aren't elites look almost like they can be. So I'm curious to see given the skill set that Eric does have, which um, is very good at what he does, but maybe a little limited in some aspects, how Bud makes it happen. But if he can just embrace it, that would be the best for everybody involved. Don't be petulant and keep tweets about not wanting to be here to a zero for the year.
2: Yeah, well, I I don't think that we're at risk of him wanting to hair salon his way out of Milwaukee the same (laughs) way he was out of Phoenix when the situation there was not good. It's better now. Like I, I'm pretty high on Kokoskov, their new coach, um, and you know the the trade that they swung for uh, for Ryan Anderson. Ryan Anderson isn't that exciting, but the Anthony Melvin was interesting. Um, but that's enough. This isn't the the bright side of the Suns podcast. This is the who podcast. Uh, Eric Bledsoe is a gambler, and he's always been able to gamble because he his decisions are the equivalent of writing checks that he somehow, because he's so talented and so gifted, is able to come through on. He's able to cash those checks because of his natural skill and natural talent. He needs to really tamp that down. And that is, to your point, Riley, going to really come back to coaching. Um, A couple of numbers that I put together when looking at this for Eric Bledsoe. He had a 1.7 to 1 assist to turnover ratio last season. Not not miserable, but definitely not good, especially for a point guard. And that was on a usage of 26.1%. So it's really high. So what that means is that Eric Bledsoe is dominating the ball, which makes sense. That's the type of player he is, and that's generally how he's his best. And he's not a bad passer, but his, his decision-making could stand to improve, and that just comes down to discipline. He needs to be more disciplined and be more judicious about the decisions that he makes. And that's going to really come down to the habits that he builds with Mike Budenholzer and his teammates during their random unofficial mini camps in New York, like we saw a couple of weeks ago on Twitter. Another number for Eric Bledsoe, 12% of his shots last year, it was about 120 total, came between 3 and 10 feet. So right in that kind of that dead zone between at the rim and the mid-range. And he only shot 37.2% on. Those shots need to be cut completely out. That, like, floater zone, like – He's, he's not a bad scorer by any stretch of imagination. He's good enough to be a 20 point per game NBA player, but he needs to take smarter shots. If he wants to keep taking threes and making them at a 35 ish percent rate, like I'm fine with that. I have no problem with his outside shooting. Of course, I want it to be better, but I don't expect it to improve magically. But the stuff that he can directly control, how much he dominates the ball on offense, the shots that he chooses to take when he has the ball and the constant gambling on defense for steals. And and like he averaged, what, over two steals or just about two steals per game last year, which is good, very good. And he's got a ton of talent defensively and can make life miserable for opposing point guards when he's being disciplined and when he's focused. And that is going to come down to the habits that he learns and unlearns this summer through training camp and through the season under a new coach. You know, he's, he, he's been around the league for a while. He's going to be 29 uh, this winter, I believe. So it's it, it's an open question as to whether he is going to be able to do that or if he's going to keep relying on instinct. And sooner or later, he's not going to have that physical talent to be able to cash those checks anymore.
0: So I, I had initially put, I think, Eric Bledsoe, all right, well, just picking off your points, Mitchell. I think it's I think it's interesting to look at his where his, his shots came from because you're right, the three three to ten feet is kind of a dead zone. Uh, and you look at around twenty nine point three percent of his shots were in zero to three feet and thirty six point six percent were from three point, which was more than more percentage of his shots than Chris Middleton uh, had who only had thirty two percent. Um, from basketball reference. So, I mean, if he if he gets that down because he's not the greatest three-point shooter, you know, he adds, takes away, you know, 0.4% from the three-point percentage, you know, another 0.2 or so from the three to 10 feet. Because if you're a point guard at the end of the day, you're probably going to have some of those three to 10 feet floaters. It's just inevitable. But if he gets that zero to three feet percentage up, I mean, he's a good finisher there, like a very good finisher, 70.5% yeah. in the zero to three feet area. Uh, so if he's shooting you know roughly 36 to 37% of his shots there that's an amazing spot not to mention the fact that he is usually with his body he's a good finisher obviously and he mm-hmm. his free throw rate last year was relatively low compared to what some of his prime years were so from 2013 through 2016-17 his free throw rate was 42.6%, 42.2, 35%, 44.3% and it dipped down to 32.1 in 2017-18. It was 31.9 last year. But this is a guy who can get to the rim when he wants to with his speed and body up guys and force fouls. So yeah. I'd like to see a lot more of Eric Bledsoe getting down to that area.
2: And I'm I'm actually pretty confident that we will see it. At the very least, the table is set for him to be able to cook that meal that we mm-hmm. want because he's going to have that, that extra foot or those extra inches of space driving and getting to the basket because – the opposing big man is going to be pulled out of the lane a little bit further, thanks to Brook Lopez or Sonja Sova. Uh, if we, when we talk about Chris Middleton, hopefully with Chris Middleton's increased shooting, uh, like the fact that this team has added so many outside shooters and placed such an emphasis on the three ball this year, going into this year, like it, like everybody talks about how it's going to open up the floor for Giannis, and it will. But it's really going to open up those lanes for Bledsoe just enough, and I really do think that the exact prescription that you described, Adam, is is what the result of that is going to be, and that's going to, I mean, maybe, maybe Eric Bledsoe makes an All Star team. It's not crazy. No. It's not crazy. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's not crazy. There's other better point guards out there for sure but he's got the natural talent and the situation is good for him. It's really good for him.
0: intrigued. My other hmm,
2: I'd be I'd be intrigued if he made the all-star
0: team. My other point was I just want him to like you said not gamble as much and stay engaged on defense. I still feel like the apex of what we got from Eric Bledsoe defensively might have been like that. First game he was in where he like seemed to be destroying screens with his his butch body and for going out and break wreaking havoc in transition. Uh I feel like it just kind of dissipated after that. And maybe that was just he was just super excited to be there and that kind of stuff. He finally <laughs> got to play Phoenix dump him, I want
2: I want to say that part of that was the ankle injury that he dealt with. It didn't knock him out of yeah. games, but I think that really hindered his mobility. And I think that after a certain point he just wasn't able to do that same thing anymore last season. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. That's what I'm hoping for. Uh, all right. Let's move on to Chris Middleton. Riley, what do you got for Chrissy Mids?
1: Okay. so can, we,
2: can, we, can I just interject? Point of order? Point of order, Chairman? Uh, never, ever use that nickname for Chris Middleton again. He's already got <laughs> okay. a great nickname. Why Why are we trying to shoehorn Chrissy Mids in there?
0: Chrissy, I, I – all right, all right. Redacted. I'll never say it again. Shoot, shoot,
2: I mean, shoot your shot, Adam. I'm proud of you for trying. I just wish it was better.
0: It's really hot here. I'm sorry. All right, <laughs> Riley, you go ahead. It's messing with my brain.
1: Just edit that whole section out. Okay. Um. So everything is in the other right now. Where if Chris Middleton doesn't make the All Star team, I would say that next season is complete and total failure for him. Um. He's got all the you know think pieces from the national media. He's you know he's been in Denmark. You know he's a uh, he's. The NBA's official Danish ambassador, which is exciting for him. <laughs> um, he's it, it just everything seems to be lining up in his direction where the east is somewhat devoid of stars, depending on you know the comings and goings of a couple guys. But I would say, first and foremost, you got to make sure the all star game, right? I mean, I think that's a bare minimum, and then also we've talked about this a million times before, talked about it for season after season. If you could continue to increase the number of threes you're taking, you know, move it up to like six threes a game. And if you can make like 38% of those. um, And I think that would just be ideal. There's a whole bunch of different things to get into, but I would say those are probably the two big things. And he had an awesome season last year. So uh, there could be a lot of replication there, but uh, it's it's just small things on the margins that he could increase and improve on and it would just unlock so much more for him
2: yeah for sure um to your point about increasing his threes that's my big thing for him uh, everything else remaining relatively the same like he's a career 39% shooter but his three point rate was only 32% last year and it's like so much lower than his other counterparts at the top of the three point accuracy rankings, well, he's got to get those threes up at a higher clip. So what I want specifically for Chris Middleton in order to have a good year is I want his three point rate to exceed his three point percentage. That's the way he's going to be on track. So if he shoots 39% from three again, like for like as like shoots his career numbers, that means his three point rate has to be 40%. If he, Goes wild and is shooting. I don't know some crazy like forty five percent, like Kyle Corver numbers. Great. Then his three point rate is should be near fifty. Like right, like that's that's what's gonna really unlock his uh, his game as a scorer in the NBA because he's he's really good. It, like very, he is an underrated player in, in almost all of the other facets of the game, particularly his mid range game. Um, which is tough because we don't like. It, Chris Middleton's mid-range game is a lot like eating at Chick Fil A. It's it's not the most glamorous place to go, and there's a lot of people that have some problems with it, but it gets the job done. Six days a week, it doesn't get the job done all seven, right? And we we saw that in the playoffs. Like he was a flamethrower from mid-range against Boston, and was making everything, but that just wasn't wasn't quite. Enough, and that's, not, and that's not to put the first-round series loss on Chris Melton's shoulders. He doesn't deserve that. But he's, there's so many things that make him a, an interesting, useful, productive NBA player. I think that if his three-point rate exceeds a three-point percentage, that's, that's the key to unlock him and to get him to where he wants to go, which is the All-Star game. He's, he, I'll say this. He's much more likely to make All-Star than Eric Bledsoe. I will admit that. Um
0: I I I mean I pretty much had the same stuff as you guys. I I'd be curious where his uh, what he does defensively this year. I feel like he's fallen off just a little bit from the couple just a couple years ago when people are talking about him has like the absolutely prototypical 3 and D wing and then I think his defense has been okay, but I don't think it's been, you know, necessarily elite. I I'm curious how he'll fit into Bud's system in that regard if he's able to He's able if he's going to be a guy who's playing more free safety and nabbing steals or if bud tries to turn him into a more of an on-ball guy who can try and shut people down with his you know incredible length he doesn't have great strength but i mean he does have the measurables to be able to be that kind of sort of stopper that he's had in atlanta before with whether it was a you know damari carroll or that kind of stuff and maybe he'll just fashion sterling brown or tony Stell into that role but i think there's an area for chris middleton to be able to improve defensively and hopefully if he's Doing less of those sort of post ups and the grit and grind work offensively that takes a lot more effort out of him. Hopefully, he's able to expend a little bit more of that on the defensive end. So, um, I'll just tag that on to what you guys said for a successful season. Anything else on on Chris?
1: Yeah, the only thing I mean, as we've discussed or as we were kind of discussing, if he he has the ability to be the focal point in offense and part of. Being the focal point has been his, and partially it felt like Jason Kidd and company were kind of forcing that upon him. We're like, okay, you're going to go do post-ups or you're going to take a lot of mid-range jumpers. Um, And that's fine and a nice handy tool in like extreme situations where you just need, you know, you know, clocks running out, need a bucket, whatever. But if you're going to be featuring that continually as a part of your offense, at least do it like. Giannis isn't on the floor and if you're like the main offensive guy who's dominating the ball so just be more selective of when you, if you're going to do sloppy or not as pretty basketball be more selective of when you do it
2: yeah I'll, I'll agree Maybe, perhaps the tough shot express could adjust its schedule around when Giannis is on the court I'll, 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 I'll admit to that
0: uh, okay well let's let's get to the the big kahuna then let's go to Giannis uh, Mitchell what, what do you want to see out of Giannis for this
2: year so, so this exercise is inherently unfair to players at either end of the bell curve. Like, earlier on in the episode, we were talking about all these guys that like on the fringes of the roster, like DJ Wilson and Tyler Zeller and, and some of these other guys that are not going to get a ton of minutes and not going to be relied upon. And, and we're being kind of glib with them. Oh, they just have to make the roster. Oh, they just have to, you know, stay on the team and not get traded or it'll be of a good year. Um, and that's not fair. Like these are professionals. They're better than that. They, they should have their own expectations, but we I mean, were not real life NBA coaches. We're certainly not getting paid like them. So we don't need to go that deep in the edge of the roster. And it's the same sort of thing at the very top, the very tippy top of the bell curve, or I'm sorry, not the top of the bell curve. That's average. The very, the far end of the bell curve where Giannis lives. And like for him to have a good year, he can't regress. He can't do less. And, and merely doing what he did last year will be simply a good year. And that's 27-10-5 and, and, like, three combined steals and blocks. That's absurd that a good, merely a good year for Giannis is that stat line. Because that puts them amongst the best of the best. And But the team needs him. The team really needs him. Like, there, there's, despite the changes at the top with coaching and despite the improved shooting around, like, this team doesn't work without Giannis like if he if he misses time for any reason and all of a sudden everybody gets bumped up a notch in the pecking order like that's not gonna have a pretty outcome like maybe Budenholzer can make it work and make it better than a subpar coach would but but it's it's not gonna be it's not gonna be great it's not gonna be special Giannis makes this team special so for him to be good he just he can't he can't afford to regress um and that's that's not really fair to put that on him, I think that he relishes that expectation. Like he's the kind of guy that, you know, took that, that Kobe, that mama challenge and wants to win MVP. And he, he's not the craziest candidate to win MVP this year. He truly isn't. But to, the fact that that is going to have to be the baseline for a good year for him is just, is super unfair. And I am giddy over putting that on him. Riley.
1: Um, that's, pretty much about what i had um i think there's it's not necessary for him to like force a jump shot he doesn't need to do it he showed it last year that he doesn't need to and the system's now been designed to open up the lanes even more for him to allow him to do what he's awesome at even more um just because i think you know if he could I, what i wrote down was crack 50 plus made three pointers which is a really random starting point but if you could get <laughs> over that hump in terms of stats that would be awesome and again it doesn't need to be like he has to be a no hesitation shooter or whatever if you could make it a little bit more than you stand there for like three seconds and then take the shot or like as you contemplate with a knife you take the shot that'd be great and then as kind of michael was saying it's difficult because like the expectations are gargantuan so if he's able to get like a top three mvp finish i think there's definitely a narrative that could be built around where if he has an even slightly better statistical season and the bucks do you know x number of games better he could easily get into the top three if not win the damn thing and then you know top vote getter in the east i think that's also a possibility um what else did i have right down written down oh i I guess like slight increases in assistant rebounds, especially if Brooke's going to be out there. And if he's embracing, you know, or bodying up people and then opening up rebounds for Giannis, that'd be great. But otherwise keep on keeping on, um, make us proud and also keep illusions to your future and your murky future (laughs) in Greek media to like below 3.5 for the season. That'd be great.
2: That'd be ideal. Yes.
0: I, so this one's probably a little unfair to Giannis, but I had, he needs to drag the bucks to over to 50 wins or more. Mm. And it's not necessarily, you know, I mean, obviously a lot of that is on the rest of the roster and coaching staff and whatnot, but I don't know if Giannis is going to be MVP. and he's If he really wants to cement his place in the East, I, I think this is, this is like, if he wants to show that he's going to take even the next leap as a player, I mean, maybe he won't statistically, but he needs to show that he's going to help drag this team to fifty plus wins. This franchise has put pretty much their entire hopes upon his shoulders. and I think um I think for him personally, I think he would wouldn't expect uh, i don't th- I think he wants to win fifty games. I think if they won less than fifty games, I don't think he would consider it as a su- successful season. Yeah, I think he's ready to kind of be uh, anointed on that mantle and and take this franchise where they've been leading him for and hope that they would lead him for years.
2: Yeah, so so maybe we could amend that just because I'm going to be nitpicky here. Because I agree, it's not fair to Giannis. It's also not fair to Budenholzer and the fact that the talent around the team, although relatively the same as last year, like they're going to be used so much better. I don't think that Giannis is going to have to necessarily drag the team along with him on the path to 50 and beyond. I think that they're actually going to be able to gasp support him a lot better. That he's accustomed yeah, to drag
0: was a bad word i just i had help in here but
2: yeah well, no i mean but but, but that's also <laughs> that's what we're used to and that's that's the that's the mindset that we're we're accustomed to because the, the like how successful has this team been over the last three years since Giannis really became the real deal like it's it's been him it's been him pushing it's been him dragging everything along behind it because there's so much else working against him like it makes sense that we would use that terminology but I'm very optimistic that we're truly not going to have to anymore. Now, if Giannis treats it like he's going to have to drag his team to wins, but all of a sudden he finds that the resistance isn't there and they're actually keeping up with him, like it's the makings of like voters reward winning, and winning is a definite key to any sort of MVP aspirations that Giannis has. But, like, remember when I mentioned the absurd possibility of Eric Bledsoe making an all-star team? If the team wins and they're playing in a way that is, like really facilitates success, like, it, I don't think it's too crazy for the Bucks to have three all-stars this year if they win games. I don't think that's insane. I think it's unlikely, but it's feasible, and that's really exciting. Bud's done it before. He has done it before. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, all right. Well, anything else you guys want to tack on about Giannis?
1: Not really. I mean, it's just it's it's difficult because he's still only 24, and God only knows what the hell his ceiling is. So if he <laughs> somehow comes out and blows away our expectations for another year, then God bless him.
2: Yeah, I'm, 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 this is the question that I grapple with. Like, the best, greatest player ever was Jordan. LeBron is the closest thing to that slash could potentially overtake that. Like, is Giannis at this point, does, is he in the best position over the course of his entire career to end at a point where he's in that conversation? I would say he is. I would say that he, if, he, if everything went as good as it possibly could right now and you maximized every single outcome from here on out, like, he's, he could be there he could be at that like top tier of all timers. How crazy is that?
1: It's pretty crazy, especially yeah. in Milwaukee. You know? <laughs> I mean, when you think it, just because it's been such abject failure for so long. And it then... has
2: it has, but that's the thing, man, that's, that's what's so exciting. And honestly, so rewarding for like really having been a fan of this team for 20 years. And having followed them and having covered them on the site the way that you know I and the two of you do and you know the other people in Brew Hoop and the other people elsewhere in the Bucks blogosphere, like it, we we run out of superlatives because they get used so often. Hyperbole is is so just overworked these days. But man, he is an, he is an exciting player. He's an exciting person to be around, and not around in the literal sense, but you guys know what I mean. It's yeah. just what, what, what else can you say?
1: He could work on that three point shot. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Uh-oh>. <laughs> oh, well, I think that's a perfect place uh, to end it, Riley. Uh, I think that's been an enlightening conversation going over just about every player on the bucks roster and some who might not even be on the bucks roster in uh, Taylor's yep. case. We'll see. Uh, so it, Thanks again for, for listening, everyone. Um, Riley and Mitchell, you can do the uh, requisite Twitter uh, shout
1: outs. I'm at Riley Feldman.
2: And uh, I am at Mitchell underscore NBA.
0: Yeah, so, and you can follow me at Adam uh, R. Paris. And of course, follow us at Brew Hoop. And read all the stuff on Brew Hoop. We're going to be ramping up a lot of our season preview stuff. Of course, chime in on the ranking, the roster stuff. Mitchell's trucking that thing along. Maybe Matthew Della Vadova will even be voted off. Please uh, vote him
2: off. <laughs> my God.
0: Uh, but uh, in the meantime, make sure you uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, review us. We always appreciate it. And uh, thanks again for listening. We'll be back again soon.
1: streets of old
2: milwaukee was a young boy walking